Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, we've got a number back there that we can hand to you, and uh, this is a Bible you can take home with you if you need. I would love to give you a Bible if you need one. In that Bible, it's page 750 that we're going to be looking at, page 750. Again, it's Luke 19, starting in verse 11. Now, uh, in God's providence, I opened up the scripture to study this, and I just thought, wow, only God could do this. Um, We are in preparation. Next week is a big week for us. It's Vision Sunday, and we're going to be looking at what God is calling us to in this next season. We try to do this once a year. It keeps us sort of focused, and so we don't just sort of wander, but we really sit down and say, okay, Lord, what are you calling us to over this next year? And we, we, we address that next Sunday, the last Sunday of September. We always um, address that question. And we're sort of uh, asking ourselves, uh, you know, what, what do we have? What do we have, God? And what do you want to do, do with what we have? And this text that we're looking at today is just a wonderful uh, preparation for that to get us in the right frame of mind going into next week, which is Vision, Vision Sunday. So I really hope that you will come next week. Make sure and be here. It's, it's one of the key Sundays in our year. And so I want to ask you to really make every effort to be here. If you're a member, we sort of expect that you will be here uh, because this is, this is when we look at uh, the vision for the next year and the budget and the new leadership and all that. So uh, that's happening next Sunday. Looking forward to it. And this text is going to help us get a little bit in the right frame of mind for it. Now, the background here, as you know, if you were here last week, is we were looking at Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a man in whom the gospel resounded with, with great brilliance and, and vibrancy and, and just sort of volume. I use the illustration of a guitar that's that's made just right, and and when the when when the note is plucked, it resounds in the body of the guitar. And and Zacchaeus was a man in whom the gospel resounded with a great vibrancy and, and brilliance. And and today we're kind of carrying on in that same vein. How is it that the gospel of Jesus Christ can resound in us to bring all manner of blessings? Verse eleven in chapter nineteen. As they heard these things. He proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Now, that might not be an obvious connection, but the way things worked is that in the political center in Jerusalem, there was a special kind of fervor around politics in general. And so anything that would happen in the country, in the, in the nation of Israel that was special, so for example, Jesus going around and healing people and people calling him the Messiah... Uh, any sort of fervency over that would be, would be magnified in Jerusalem because it was the political center. And so uh, they're all getting sort of whipped up and enthusiastic and excited about what's happening. And Jesus, this is kind of one of the rare places in uh, the New Testament where this happens. Jesus sort of puts a little cold water on that and slows them down about the immediacy of the kingdom. Verse 12. He said, Therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom, and then return. Now, uh, most scholars uh, understand that to mean that he, he was in the kingdom, but he had to go to this foreign land to receive authority over the land that he was already in, to become the actual king over it. So he goes away to receive authority over land that he's in. Verse 13, calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. Now, total side note here, but um, one of the things in our vision for this coming year is to address this idea of integrating our faith and our work. I know this has been a question in a number of your, in a number of your hearts. Uh, how do I integrate my faith with my work? And Jesus uh, puts business in kind of a positive light here, and I'm really excited in this coming season for us to grapple with that question together. What does it mean to, put, uh, to, to integrate our faith and our work? But that's just a, that's just a side point. 
Um, Aminas here, Amina, it was, was equivalent to about three or four months' wage. So this is a pretty good sum of money that has been given to each one of these servants. Each servant gets uh, one of these minas, all ten of them. Verse 14, But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. So you've got three groups here. You've got servants, and you're going to see the servants are divided into faithful and unfaithful. And then you've got citizens. So the servants are closely connected to the king, the citizens less so. And the citizens are rejecting the king, and the servants are going to either be faithful or unfaithful. So keep that in your mind. You've got these three different groups. Verse 15, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. Now, that's a pretty good return. I don't know how long the king was, was gone, but you would have had to have bought Apple stocks in 2005 to recognize that good of a return on uh, your investment. Um, if you were to just take the average Dow, Dow Jones, you'd have to have bought stocks 28 years ago to be able to do that. And if you were to uh, do treasury bonds, you would need to have bought them 88 years ago to get such a return uh, on, on your investment. So uh, obviously this man does quite a good job. And, 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 and the king says, Well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. Verse 18. And the second came, saying, Lord... Your mina has made five minas. Pretty good, too. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Now, side note, again, there are about five places in the New Testament where it talks about rewards in heaven. So we kind of have to grapple with that. Um, How we live in this earth affects how it will be in heaven. Now, we have to also remember, though, that sin will be weeded out of heaven. So even though that's the case, you won't ever feel any sort of jealousy because somebody else got more than you did. You'll just be excited for them, like holy and purely. You'll be so excited for them. So there are rewards, but rewards are a completely different thing when we get into the context of heaven. All right, verse uh, 20. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, now listen to this, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, that is the king, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest, at least, I mean, you might not have made five or ten, you certainly wouldn't have in these days, uh, on, your, on the money, but you would have at least collected some interest on it instead of putting it in this handkerchief. In other words, um, if you really believed, see, there's something wrong, there's something that this servant is avoiding. Jesus, or the king is saying, if you really believed that I was severe, then you would have acted differently. I don't, I don't think you, you really believe it. You're, you're hiding something, most commentators say. Um, you, you're not being forthright with me. On top of that, Haven't you seen, the king is saying, what a generous man I am, that I have given, and then I have have blessed and been generous, so you don't even know who I am, you servant, trying to hide some sort of inaction. 
verse 24, and he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. God's interest is in seeing what he's given, leveraged, reinvested, multiplied for the kingdom. That's God's interest. And then verse 27, But as for these enemies of mine, referring to the citizens, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Ouch. Um, Jarring, no doubt couple things on that. We can't really take the starkness out of it, but in that day, that would have been more the common norm uh, for such a case. And, and let's remember that these are the citizens that Jesus has talked about who, in the, in the end of uh, chapter 18, will flog him and spit upon him and hang him on, on the cross. And so um, the severity here comes out of that. And, and, and at the same time, we also have to sit with the discomfort of the severity uh, because... That's part of who God is. Um, we like to say, and, and you probably have heard this many times, the God of the New Testament is soft and wonderful and sweet and nice, and the God of the Old Testament is harsh and severe. And then we come across verses like this, and we can't quite make that distinction. So we have to grapple a little bit with that. And we do that on other days. We're not going to spend our time today grappling with it. What we're going to grapple with today, though, um, we're going to let that hang out there um, and do its work. Um, What we're going to grapple with today is this whole idea of what I'm going to call becoming a venture kingdomist, okay? A venture kingdomist. You following me? You've heard of a venture capitalist, somebody who takes the money that they've gained in some endeavor, maybe they have a lot of money at this point, they don't know what to do with it, so they try to find some organization or company that they can invest in, and by doing so, they they will... uh, just help that organization or that entity or that company become what it never could have become before. That's what venture capitalists do. Um, they, they help the, the company to realize the potential that is lying there in the company. Now, many of the companies that we uh, buy things from and we look at, they wouldn't exist if it weren't for somebody investing in them at an early stage so that they would be able to multiply and become what they became. You know, companies like Amazon didn't make profit for, I don't know, 10 years or something like this because even though they were selling these things, because people kept investing into them to get them off on the right foot. That's what a venture capitalist does. What I'm saying that this text is saying is that we're to become venture kingdomists. I know I made up a word there and it's a little goofy, but hopefully it'll stick with you. We're to take the resources that we've been given and invest them in the kingdom. Now, the resources that we've been given are much more than simply financial resources. Now, that's part of it. We have finances, we have money, but we also have uh, all kinds of other other resources. We have relationships, for example. We have um, time. We have giftings. And on and on, we have the, the possibility of prayer. We can All the things that we can invest in the kingdom. And, and, and God is calling us through this text to take what we've been given and invest it in the kingdom rather than to hold it, hide it in a handkerchief so that the kingdom might reach what God has called it to reach. Now, uh, the mina that was given to each one of the servants, that's a, that's a, it carries with it some potential, right? A mina. So it's probably... 
like $20,000 in today's money. So the king, when he left, he gave them this large sum of money. He said, there's potential in this. Do something with it. Now, God has given us amina, in a sense. He's given us life. He's given us resources. He's given you your, your, your existence, your identity, uh, 80 years or so on this earth. He's given you relationships. He's given you all kinds of things. And we can multiply that. He's, he's set you in small communities. We talk about our home groups. It's very important for this. He's given you the resource of the, of the Christian community uh, around you. And then he's given you the, the corporate, the body, the congregation. And the question becomes then, what are we going to do with those resources that we have? They, they all carry, you as an individual, your home group, the larger church, all carry within them this sort of latent or dormant or untapped potentiality for something great for the kingdom. And the question is, what are we going to do with what God has given? Now, God has given a large sum to these servants. Like I said, it was on the order of 20000 Dollars that he would have given to each one of them before he left uh, in today's money. It's a large sum. And it's true of our lives, too, that God has given us a large sum. All those things that I just mentioned that we have are a tremendous gift from God. The bodies that we move about in, the minds that God has given us, the time that he's given us on this earth, the breath in our lungs, the giftedness and the intellect to be able to to work and to, to make money and, and the relationships that we have, um, the people around us, um, these are all gifts that God has given. There are minas, right? That's what God has given us to work with. He's given us a huge sum. And I, I, sometimes I wonder why he would do this. And, and it seems when you look at the flow of the, of the Bible, it seems that somehow God has this incredible idea that he wants to enlist us and involve us in his magnificent redemptive plan in the world. God's writing the greatest story that could ever be written across this universe. It's a story of the redemption of lost souls. Now, God could write that story all by himself. He doesn't need need anybody to help him to write that story. But he says, look, I'm going to give you a portion of myself. I'm going to give you a portion of what is mine for you to steward it and reinvest it so that you can be a part of that redemptive story. So that you can, you can walk the journey with me and you can, you can be vested in it and have a sense of ownership in what's happening so that you're not just watching from the sidelines. That's what your life is. It's a gift from God to be reinvested so that you might participate in the greatest story that ever could be written across this universe the redemptive story of God working through Jesus Christ. And so we sit here this morning on a day like this and we have a choice to make with our lives. Are, are this what we've been given? Are we going to engage in business, to use the language of the parable that Jesus tells? Are we going to take what God has given us and, and, and invest it in the kingdom in some way and, and watch it multiply? Or, like the unfaithful servant Will we hide what God has given in a handkerchief? In a handkerchief. What's in your handkerchief this morning? That's what I want us to be thinking about. What's in your handkerchief this morning? Now, if we engage in doing business, as it says in 
the text, if we engage in, in doing business, if we take what God has given us and reinvest it in the kingdom, multiple things happen according to this parable. First of all, and this is sort of obvious on the, on the surface, we will bless others, right? Other people will be blessed by us, our service and our acts of kindness and our, our laying down our lives and our giving gifts and all of that. But it also says that we will be blessed. We will be blessed. For the one servant, he was given ten cities. For the other servant, he was given five cities. And what that's saying is that if you take what I give you and reinvest it, you will be blessed. It will be an encouragement to you. You you will experience things that you hadn't expected. And certainly that's the case. You've heard my stories from going to Africa, doing a little investment there and how that transformed me and shaped me. Whenever we step out like that, we find that God blesses us in many ways. So it's a blessing to us. And then thirdly, though, it's a blessing to God in a sense. God will be blessed. Or to say it in another way, it pleases God when we take what he's given us and invest it in his kingdom, all that he's given us. And that's why the king in this parable says, well done, because it pleases him. And at the end of the day, that should be our ultimate motivation, is to please God. That, that's the deepest, most wonderful motivation of all. You know, we don't always get there immediately. Um, we can, and it's, it's appropriate to think about how our investment, our being venture kingdomists will bless others and how it will bless us. That's appropriate. But all, at the end of the day, ultimately, it's going to please God. And that is our deepest, most wonderful motivation of all. Now, I don't know about you, but, but this ought to make us want to get busy. I don't want to miss out on this opportunity to invest and be part of what God is doing in the world. Do you, do you want to miss out on that? Um, interesting, uh, there's a part in, in 1 Corinthians where it talks about how, you know, somebody who, whose life's work has been apart from serving the kingdom, and, and I don't mean that just vocationally, like being a pastor, I just mean the way you look at your life. Um, whose life work has been totally disconnected from that. It says, they will be saved, but as through fire. And so it'll be sort of a burning up of that work that was, was not towards the kingdom. And again, I don't mean that we all have to become you know, missionaries or pastors. I mean that anyway. It's the way we approach the work that we've been given. How we move in the sphere of our workplace. All of that. What we do with what we've been given. All of that. Um, so, so there's this sense in which we'll miss out on something wonderful and incredible and beautiful if we fail to invest what God has given to us back into the kingdom. And I don't know, I don't want to miss out on that. I want to invest everything that I've been given as much as I possibly can to the extent that I know how to be a part of what, what God is doing. I have a strange thing I've often thought about, especially since... You know, we're in the United States, and in many respects, we've been given so much. Even those of us who feel like we're on the lower side of American wealth, compared to the rest of the world, we still have so much. And those of us who are in the middle have so much. And those who are even above the middle, uh, it's unbelievable what we have in comparison to us. And so, so we've been entrusted, we've been given the mina, right? We've been given the mina, opportunity, education. And that leads to money oftentimes, comfort, uh, knowledge of what's going on in the world. And we give out Bibles like they just, they don't cost anything because they don't to us really. We should, I just was doing the budget. 
We gave out like 200 Bibles or something last year. It didn't bat an eye. There are places in the world where, you know, that would be huge to be able to have that many um, Bibles. And so, and so we're so rich. We're so, we have so much. And I often, one of the things that's motivated me for years and years and years, I, it's crazy, but I think about this. There's some guy in Africa or in South America or some impoverished place in the world who's, you know, his name is the whatever version of Andrew in that place. And, you know, he looks like me, he walks like me, he's more gifted than me, you know, um, for ministry or for, for whatever, anything. He might even be potentially faster on the bike than me, although, I don't know, um, not really concede that yet. Um, but whatever, but he doesn't have the opportunities that I've been given, right? He doesn't have the opportunities that I, and I, there are many, there have been many seasons in my life where that's what gets me up and motivates me in the morning, that I have been given so much. So let me get up a little earlier than I would have and work a little harder than I would have to invest what I've been given into the kingdom of God. Because it's a tremendous responsibility. It's a wonderful, precious gift, actually, that God has given us. And this is the parable. This is what we have. There's a neat thing happening at Albany High School right now. Um, I'm not sure if I have the story completely right, but apparently um, there was, there was a, a young girl in high school who's an exchange student. She didn't speak English very well, and she was at a, a church in the area, and she got in her heart that there needed to be something going on at Albany High School of Christian nature. There's no Christian club or anything. And so she began to like walk around. She was attending there as an exchange student. You going to walk around and pray for the school. Okay? I, mean, I mean, this is a girl who, who doesn't have the things that a normal girl would have in terms of language facility. And she called her youth group to, to, to get into this with her and to pray with her to be a part of this. And they responded. And they started praying. And the youth, this group started meeting and they were, they've been meeting, I, I don't know how many years they've been going, but um, the group has been, been, been going a little bit. And, and then this last week, they had their club day, and so they were out there at a table, and more people are being added, and, and people from our congregation are getting involved with this, and more people are being added. And they had this, this incredible sort of stretch prayer. Lord, would, would you send 200 people to sign up for our club? Just crazy, right? In this area... In the, with this high school craziness. Well, guess what? 200 kids signed up for the high school kid, club. Now, let's be realistic about this, right? A lot of them signed up because there was an ice cream involved, right? <laughs> um, and, and, and some didn't want to go and, you know, whatever. But there were conversations that happened across that table that were really significant. And there was exposure and an opening. And when they met, then later in the week, they had one of their largest, I don't know if it was the largest group, they had 45 kids or something showed up to this Christian club. And, and what strikes me about it, it, there are a lot of things, but one of the things that strikes me about this story is it was the one who seemed to have the least, the exchange student, least connected. Why would you care about this place? Why would you, you know what I mean? That was the one who seemed to have the least, who prayed and was the instigator for all of this. The venture kingdomist, really. And all she had was prayer. And look what's happening out of it. Now, that is a story for us to connect to with our lives. What has God given us? Now, so then it becomes, how do you become, this is the second part, how do you become a venture kingdomist? So what is a venture kingdomist, and how do you become one? This is, this, this is the part we've got to finish with here. We, we always love to tell the big stories, right, about the amazing things that people do. 
And we tell those stories, sometimes what the problem is, is, is they're so far beyond what we think we could ever be a part of or do that we shut down and we go, oh, well, I guess I, I can't be that because I'm not Mother Teresa, right? And I did not really sell everything and move to, you know, the worst place in the world and, and just live and, and do all that. And so we kind of shut down. But let's remember something very important, and that is, is that the big stories we hear about, they often started as little stories. Nobody knew what it was going to lead to. When Mother Teresa sold what she had and she moved to this place, nobody knew. She didn't know what that was going to lead to. She knew it was going to come back in a year, right? It was the, the big stories start small. And, and you don't know what little thing you do, what it will result in, and how God will multiply it for the kingdom. So, so don't be intimidated by thinking you've got to do the big thing. Just put one foot in front of the other and do the small thing. And let God take that. Now, I want you to think of this in the three arenas we've been talking about. With you individually, the relationships that you have, your workplace, your neighborhood, your family, your, the people you, you spend time with in your hobbies. And then I want you to think about it with respect to your home group. And then I want you to think about it with respect to us as a church. What are we going to do with what God has given us? And this is the way that we become venture kingdomists. First of all, we just, we just need to be a little more logical about this a little more rational. That's what the, the unfaithful servant was missing. He was missing that logic. Basically, what's gone on through our understanding with, with what God is doing is that he said this to us. He said, here's your life. I'm giving you your life. Uh, I'd like you to invest it for the gospel. Uh, and if you don't, I'll take it away. Simple logic. Here's your life, invest it, or it's going to go away. That's what this parable says. And that's what it says in other places too. Mark 8, 35. Whoever, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And I want to remind you that this statement occurs in all four gospels. All four gospels. Record this. Statement. So it's important and it's critical. And this is simply what the parable is saying. It's just a question of logic. If you want to keep your life, give it away to the one who gave it to you in the first place because he'll store it up for you nicely and neatly and take care of it all. It's simple logic. And the, and the, the servant, the third servant, misses the logic of the king who has given him what he has. So, first of all, we just need to be rational about this, we need to be logical. And then we need to open up, once we get that, we need to open up our, our handkerchief. I think all of us are walking around with a handkerchief. And in that, we have our giftedness and our finances and our time, our energy, our resources, our relationships. And we're carrying that around. And Jesus is saying, I want you to open, I want you to unfold that handkerchief and open it up. Don't hide it. Open it up. What God is looking for is faithfulness. Not Mother Teresa necessarily, but taking that first step. And so it might be a small thing, um, the relationships that you have. It might be simply saying, you know, I'm going to pray for the people in my workplace, or I'm going to pray for 
the people that I, 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 I do my hobbies with, or I'm going to pray for the people in my neighborhood. I'm just going to start to pray for them. And Lord, I don't know what you're going to do with this, but I, I got a little time I can give to prayer. And so I'm going to invest it in prayer. And it might be just uh, investing in the relationship. I'm going to, I'm going to linger at the, at the water cooler for a little bit longer at work today. And I'm going to ask this person about their life. What, are they, what, what, what makes them tick? Where do they come from? What are they doing? Who are they? What's at the core of... And I'm just going to start asking questions. And then if I, if I get an opportunity, if the door opens up, if the window opens, I'm going to walk through the door and I'm going to tell them the story of my life and what Jesus has meant to me and what He's done in my life. Simple, small, opening of the handkerchief, chief. I want, what would it be like if in our home groups you sat you took a, you took a week and instead of doing the study, you sat around and you said, you know what? What is it that God has given us as a group? What do we have in our handkerchief? And what can we, what can we do with what God has given us? And maybe you find, maybe you discover something amazing that a bunch of the people in this home group have this similar hobby and they could do something with that. Or a bunch of these people in this home group have a passion to minister to a certain group of people and, and we get asked, what has God given us? And we all have this passion and, and we can start to say, well, let's open up the handkerchief and begin to, to invest what we've been given in the kingdom. And then, of course, the question comes, what are we going to do as a church? What do, what do we do as a church? This church that God is building continues to grow. It continues to grow. And we see people added to our numbers and people coming to faith. And it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. It would be really easy to say, all right, good, we've gotten over the hump now. We're a church officially. Let's just relax and enjoy it. But I don't think that's what God's calling us to. He's saying, now what are you going to do with what I've given you? How are you going to continue to stay on the edge and invest who you are collectively for the kingdom so you can participate in what I'm doing in the world, my great redemptive work. Wonderful story from our Africa team on this. Um, and, and I want to share this story too because this is one of the more bigger stories, but I don't know, it might have started small, probably did. Um, so you, you don't know when you step out. But Gary is a former police officer. He was the leader of our team, and, and, and Joe is also uh, currently a captain uh, in the police force, and they've got many friends in that, and they're going over to Rwanda, and they're, they're seeing what's going on there, and, and something gets in their hearts about something that's deeply broken in Rwanda, and that is the way in which children who have been sexually abused are treated. And so they're witnessing this, and, you, and they're police officers, right? So they have that gift. That's a gift. They know how to prosecute crimes, and they have this burden for it. And so um, Gary and another police officer friend step out and start this ministry called Rwanda for Justice, and you can go online and look at it, Rwanda for Justice, and what they do is they, they help the police force in Rwanda to prosecute case, cases of sexual abuse against minors. So it's a wonderful, beautiful thing, because they're, they're coming along in different ways. They're, they're, bringing, uh, uh, they're bringing tools and techniques that will help, but then they're coming around and, and helping the children with healing from their brokenness and walking them through that journey. And so you see how the giftedness that they've been entrusted, that was their mina, in a sense, right? And they took and reinvested it in this place. 
and now that was, we got to meet the director when we were over there and to see the numbers of children who have been helped and blessed because Gary and his partner were willing to take the mina that they had, which was skills in this area, and invest it in Rwanda. Okay? That's what God is calling us to, is to open the handkerchief. Now, we have a strengthening in this too. It's a scary thing to open the handkerchief and, and you feel like, am I going to be out there on a limb? And what if I get caught? And in those moments, I want to bring us back to the gospel because, because ultimately this is where our strength is going to come from. God, our Father, had a handkerchief. And in that handkerchief was His Son. Perfect son, the greatest asset he owned. And what he decided to do was to invest his son in this broken world so that we might be redeemed. Jesus went to the cross and he hung on that cross to take into himself the penalty for all of our sin. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And Jesus on that cross took it in. And it was an incredible investment. It involved flogging, being spat upon, crown of thorns, heads wagging, excruciating death, and the worst of all, separation from God the Father. But God multiplied that investment. And He raised Jesus from the dead. And through it is bringing many, many men and women to salvation. And when we step into that story and invest what we've been given into that, we can trust that the same power and faithfulness of our God and Father that was, that was upon Jesus will be upon us. And so that's where we find ultimately the courage and the strength to invest our mina to open the handkerchief for the kingdom. Would you pray with me? Lord, no doubt when we survey this room, there is an incredible quantity of giftedness, of resource, of time, financial resources, of relational capital, of energy, intellect, and all that's multiplied when we come together and we pool it in the community of faith. We're asking you, Lord, that you would help us to be like the faithful servant in the parable, to invest what we've been given for the kingdom. Help us to do it in small ways as we interact with the image bearers around us at work and in our neighborhoods and with our hobbies. Help us to huddle together in our home groups and and ask that question, what has God given us? What do we have? And help us to do it, especially in this next Sunday as we gather together to pursue as a church body that which you are calling us to in this coming year. We want to participate in your redemptive story to the fullest. Help us to do so in the name of Christ. Amen.